0: you know I had planned on ending the life rhythm series and 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 God was like hang on a second uh, I think there's something that maybe you missed and um and just this morning I really want to come to you on the subject the the heart of God so the last seven weeks we talked about the rhythms of God and some of the things that Jesus did in his life practically like as a human Well, he he did things like you know he was in nature a lot he liked to be alone he liked solitude and silence um, he he, he was a, 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 had a servant's heart, really was, was not, just wasn't a popular idea before Jesus, but he, everywhere he went, he was serving, he was helping, he was, um, he, he lived a life of sacrifice. We, we talked about all the rhythms of the life of Jesus over the last seven weeks, just, we just picked out a few from the Gospels, but I feel like I missed something major, and in the Old Testament, I, I had somebody ask me one time, and he was, he was a, a practicing Muslim, and he asked me, he said, you know, I read your Bible, I read the Bible, and it seems like the God in the Old Testament is different from the God in the New Testament. He said, it seems like the God in the Old Testament was kind of mean, and was really concerned about how people behaved. But then the God in the New Testament, it, it, it seems like he's different, that he's, he's, it's his, he, he calls himself a God of love and he talks a lot about the inside of a person right the the heart and you've probably maybe you've noticed that but it's you know the Old Testament was very outward driven like 600 Commandments all dealt with behavior there was a lot of things that you couldn't do there was a lot of you know there was it was so strict there were certain garments you couldn't wear because they were made of two different materials like down to the dietary um, habits of the Israelites. God was specific about what they could eat, what they couldn't eat. So a lot of rules, a lot of laws. And then in the New Testament, Jesus kind of wraps it all up, and he says, well, you know, he didn't really focus on the outside. He focused on the inside. He said things like, it's not what, you know, it's not what goes in a person that defiles them. It's what comes out of their heart. And Jesus talks so much about the heart about the hidden part of a person's life. And probably the verse that sums it up the best is Proverbs 4, verse 23. Now, Proverbs is full of wisdom about the heart. But this verse I love the most, and it talks about keeping or guarding your heart with all vigilance. Why? Because from it flows the spring of life. One version says everything that you do comes from your heart. And so the Old Testament focused on changing behavior because they thought if we could change the behavior, we could change the person. But that Jesus came along and said, you know, you can change the behavior and still have a rotten heart. Because the Pharisees did everything right and they kept the law and they were perfect on the outside. But he said on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. Your heart hasn't changed. Your behavior changed but you're still mean as a snake. Come on, somebody, right? You know, and, and so he flips it around and he focuses on the heart. The heart is talked about more in the Bible than giving, worship, behavior modification. The heart is a central theme in the Bible. And when Proverbs says to guard it, it doesn't mean to keep people out of it. It means to be very particular about what you let in. That when the enemy attacks your life he he, his arrows are shot at your heart when you go through something in life when it's tough and it's you can go through something and be years on the other side of it but it still affects you on the inside you're still kind of carrying around in your heart and when when your physical heart which we know is kind of the center of our life as, as human beings if the heart stops Everything stops. But when there's something wrong with the heart, it shows up in other places. Like if you've, if you've ever, you know, it, it'll, it'll, your hands will tingle, your, your, your eyes will be blurred, it'll, you, you may be, you know, short, shortness of breath. Or, you know, oftentimes when someone has a, something wrong with their heart, it's not their chest that hurts. It shows up in other locations. And I think it's the same way spiritually. But a lot of times we'll treat symptoms and we'll try to change what's wrong with our life, but really, what's wrong is it's something deep down inside of us that's causing these things to show up in our life spiritually. And so, what I want you to hear this morning is 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 the heart is the central theme. The heart is who you are. When I mean, so somebody asks, "Well, what does the heart mean in the Bible?" It means you. It's the seat of your desire. It's the seat of your emotions, your passions, everything is wrapped up in the heart these are not in your notes but this is how important the heart is this is how much the Bible talks about the heart in Deuteronomy 6 verse 5 which became become the great commandment that Jesus gave us that it, it talks about loving God with all of our heart when David was anointed as king maybe you remember that story first Samuel chapter 16 that that everybody was looking at the outside of of his brother's but but God says this through the prophet Samuel he, he says you know you're looking at the outside but God looks at the the heart cuz that's really who you are it's it's your heart your money's connected to your heart luke 12 verse 34 where your treasure is your heart will be and so your money and jesus connects your heart with money your trust muscle how you trust people how you trust god proverbs 3 verse 5 trust in the lord with all of your And don't lean to your own understanding. Sometimes your mind will fool you, your heart will guide you. God's promises are stored in the heart. If you struggle with anxiety and you can't turn off those thoughts in your mind, Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I've treasured your word in my heart. And I could go on and on and on and on, but the heart, everything we do flows from the heart. The heart can be grieved, the heart can be broken, The heart can be full of joy. And what I want to talk about this morning, though, is not particularly our hearts, but the heart of God. Like, when you really want to get to know somebody, you can study their behaviors and habits and their rhythms, and and that gives you a little bit of a picture of who they are. But to really know someone is to know their heart. Like, what are you really like? And that takes time. You know that takes conversation. That takes walking with a person, getting to know a person. Is it, it, what is what am I really like? And I think the heart sometimes can be. One of the proverbs says that it's, it's deceptive. That who can know it? That there's times where we don't even know what's in our heart. That there's things there that that we don't even see. That we can't even pinpoint. And so to really know someone, to really understand who they are is to is to get to know their heart. And Oswald Chambers says it like this, the use of the Bible term heart is best understood by simply saying me. And so there's all kinds of things in our hearts today. But what was in the heart of God? What is his heart like? We've talked about what he likes and what he doesn't like. We've talked about the rhythms of Jesus over the last 7 weeks and things that he did and didn't do. We've talked a lot about his rhythms and his habits, but what is he really like? Have you ever wondered about that? A couple of weeks ago, it was um, lightning really bad out here, and um, I was, it was just a thunderstorm, and I was with my son, And it's like lightning really hard. And so I got struck by lightning a couple years ago. I don't think I ever said anything. But if you, I didn't like, not directly. I was like walking into the door and it struck the house. And I had my key fob in my hand of my car. It blew it up in my hand. Knocked me back, knocked me on my, you know, Rump, I'll just say that. <laughs> like, It just knocked me back. I was on the ground and, and, and uh, my son and wife were in the truck. So I was like going in to open the door, lightning storm. Anyways, if you get struck once, apparently you're like 10 times more likely to get struck again. So I'm super careful when it starts to lightning. You know, when, it, when lightning is happening, I used to surf when it was lightning, not anymore. But then my family's like, when it starts lightning, they're like, you go in the other room. Because. <laughs> we don't want you if you get struck you know but my six-year-old son said this it was lightning and and it wouldn't stop and he said man somebody must be doing something bad and and God is trying to get their attention I said whoa at six years old he equates lightning thunder scary fear judgment with God so I had a, we had a conversation there I was like no son I don't I don't think God is I don't think he's getting back at anybody you know But sometimes without saying it we carry around this image of God like he's sitting up there like with lightning bolts just waiting on you to mess up <laughs> you know what I was saying just waiting for the moment where he could you know throw down correction and we do that. If something bad happens in our life, we immediately ask, what did I do to deserve this? But what, is the heart, what was the heart of Jesus like? And I'm embarrassed to admit this, but we read the same verse for the last seven weeks, and I didn't catch this. In our theme verse, there's only one time that I can find in the whole Bible where God tells us what his heart is like. And we read the verse every week And I didn't catch it. I'm going to read it again. Our theme verse from this series, Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'm going to give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Why? Because I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. Jesus tells us what his heart is like. And if you do this... You'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I'm embarrassed to admit that, y'all. I didn't catch that till this week. And I felt like I was supposed to talk about the heart of God. And when I think about the heart of God, gentle and humble did not come to my mind. If you were to ask me what God was like, I would say, well, he's courageous He's a creator. He's brave. He's you know, something like Maximus out of Gladiator. You know what I'm saying? Like he's, he steps on the scene and he saves a day. And, and, but gentle and humble were not even in my mind. W- wouldn't even come into my mind. But here is Jesus telling us what his heart is like. And everything that we studied about him over the last several, several weeks, his rhythms, the way that he lived, flowed from the heart that he had. He was a servant, he was separated, he sacrificed a lot for others. He loved solitude and silence, why? Because his heart was pure. That the life of Jesus flowed from a heart of gentleness and humility. I love that. Now those are two words that I don't know if I would, I don't know if I would put those at the top of the list of a leader that I wanted to follow but let's unpack that for a moment. What does that mean that his heart is, he's gentle and he's humble. The first word I wanna look at is, is, is gentle. And I think what he's saying there, and what I believe to be true about the God that we serve, is he's the most approachable person that's ever lived. He understands. When you really get in a bind and you really get in a place where you don't know how to get out of and you start sharing your story with people, I have a tendency to say, you just wouldn't understand. You don't understand what I'm facing right now. You're not in my shoes. You wouldn't understand. You haven't had this happen to you, right? I think it's one of those lies of the enemy that he tries to put in our mind that only you are facing what you're going through. And nobody else knows what you're going through and nobody else. But, but, but Jesus is saying, I'm gentle. It means I'm the, most, I'm the most welcoming person that's ever lived. And I can sit with you through your struggle because I know your struggle. Gentle. He wasn't divisive. He didn't have any triggers. I got some triggers I, there's some things you could say to me that I will get mad. You know what I mean? Like and I know I know when it's happening and I'll try to remove myself. But but when Jesus says he's gentle, he he's welcoming that you can tell him anything and he's not going to judge you. I like that. To me, that's an inviting attribute that I would love to have in a person that I want to follow. And I think Jesus understood people because he was on their level. He, he, he was an outcast. He wasn't popular in, in his day. He didn't really fit in with the leaders. He, he kind of had a ragtag bunch of disciples that he picked out of just normal jobs. And in a lot of ways, he, he understood. In the verse that we're reading, look at who it's, who it's written to the weary, and the tired. And so he understands. Sometimes I think we we have this picture of God that that he's just sitting up in heaven and he's removed from our problems and what we're facing and He's really just steps in to fix things and then he goes back. But Jesus is saying, no, no, I'm gentle. I understand what you're going through. I understand what you're facing. Hebrews 5 verse 2 says it like this. He can deal gently with us, with the ignorant and wayward. Why? Because he himself was beset with weakness. He knew what it was like to be tired. He knew what it was like to be broken. He knew what it was like to have life deal you a set of cards that you didn't want to play, but you had to. He understood that. And at the heart of the God that we serve is gentleness. And this prophecy goes all the way back to Zechariah. We see it again in Matthew 21. Say to the church, see your king comes to you. He's gentle. This is next Sunday. And riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He didn't come in with a limo and secret service. He was gentle. And if you weren't paying attention, you would have missed it. Two thousand years ago, if we can roll back the clock, most of 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 humanity didn't understand what was going on. They missed it because it wasn't loud, it wasn't boisterous. He came in gentle. And this verse also reminds me: again, take my yoke upon you, learn from me. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. What is the one thing that qualifies us for this? It's being tired and worn out. If you're not tired and worn out, then then just, I guess you're doing things right. But he addresses this whole verse, you know, our theme verse to, the, to those that are tired and just worn out. And I have, I know for me, I have a tendency thinking, well, I don't wanna go to God all needy because I don't, you know, he, I just don't wanna bother him, right? I, may, I don't wanna take something from God. May, I'm gonna say, let him save his, his, his power for other people that have, you know, bigger problems. But the God that we serve, he doesn't point a finger towards people. His posture towards humanity is open arms. I think religion is the opposite. Religion says, get your life together, then come to God. You know, you gotta act right, talk right, dress right. You gotta know the songs. You gotta know the whole secret handshake and all that. Get your life right, then you can come and sit for a while. But Jesus flipped it around he said, no, what qualifies you is your problem. And if you don't have any problems in here, I can tell when people have problems by the way they worship. But how bad they really wanna to get to the presence of God because he's saying it's your, it's your problem that qualifies you for an encounter with God. And the more the problems, the greater the breakthrough. The, the more options you've tried, the greater the miracle will be. And so we serve a god who's gentle at heart the second thing he says he says i'm I'm humble i'm humble that that word is it's 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 interesting it literally means to be thrust down by life's circumstances that not only was god gentle he hung out with the people that we would probably avoid just be honest People that have been thrust down by circumstances in life. He identified with those people. I just think that's incredible. That he was approachable. He was accessible. To to the ones that really needed him the most, this is good news. This is good news. That in the heart of God is gentleness, gentleness. And humility. Now, I want to just tell one more story and then we're going to pray together. So, next Saturday in the Greek Orthodox calendar is known as Lazarus Saturday. And so, there's a lot of different stories in the Bible. Um, different, you know, in the Gospel of John, there's seven miracles, and they all kind of build on each other. The first one's water to wine and it ends with with Lazarus. But they don't know when this happened. I personally believe that that Lazarus was resurrected out of the grave, it could have been like this week. But we know it was a few weeks before, it was before Palm Sunday, it was before Good Friday, but it was this this resurrection of Lazarus that set the calendar and really got the, the Pharisees upset enough to say, we gotta take out Jesus. He can turn water to wine. He can make, you know, he can take this little boy's lunch and multiply it. But when he's raising the dead, he, he became a threat to the, the, the organized religion of that day. And if you don't know the story, I'm not going to read it all, but it's, it's in John 11. And Jesus was a friend of Lazarus. He, he was friends with the family, Mary and Martha. He was close to Lazarus. And and so Lazarus got sick and they sent word to Jesus that he was sick and he didn't come. So Lazarus went from sick to sicker, still no Jesus. Lazarus ends up dying. Jesus doesn't show up. He didn't show up to the hospital. They ended up having the service for Lazarus. Jesus didn't show up to the graveside. Jesus didn't show up for the funeral. Four days later, after Lazarus had passed, Jesus shows up. And by that time, it it was really bad. (laughs) By that time, he he shows up on the scene and he asks Martha, he says, take me to where you laid him. And they don't even want to take him to the grave because they were afraid for the smell. They were like, you don't don't want to get near it. Like, this is bad. Jesus said, no, take, take me to where you laid him. And this is what I want you to see. It's the areas in our life that we hide, that the power of God is drawn to. What do you do with the things in your life that won't get better? What do you do with the things in your life that you've prayed for, you called for Jesus three times, you've anointed it with more chicken than they, than they use at KFC to, to fry up that fried chicken? You know what I'm saying? You've anointed it with more oil, I'm sorry. <laughs> what do you do when things just don't get better they seem to get worse and i'm I'm seeing a, a like a principle i feel like with the power of god is that he's drawn to the circumstances of our life that are the darkest that jesus is drawn to those that are tired and burdened and burnout he's drawn to those areas of our life he's not intimidated by them He's not afraid of it. And and so Martha takes him to the grave where they laid Lazarus. Now this is where the story gets really, really interesting. This was my first memory verse when I was going through Bible college. Jesus got to the grave and it says that Jesus wept. When he saw the family crying, and in that day, the fair, you know, uh, they would send out mourners to be with the family. And so for seven days, the, the church would send mourners to cry and sit with the family as they mourned. And so he got to the grave and he wept. I, I don't think anything describes someone with more of a gentle and humble heart than that. That when somebody's going through a tough situation, uh, sometimes it's not words they need, they just need your presence. And Jesus shows up and he sits with the family and he cries with the family. But what I love about this story is it doesn't end there. As he looks at, the sister, he looks at Lazarus' sisters and he says, do you believe your, your brother can rise again? And they say, yes, we know at the resurrection, we know there's coming another resurrection. And he said, no, today. And Jesus went a short little prayer. To me, this was the resurrection before the resurrection. <laughs> in a short little prayer, after he weeps, after he cries with the family, he raises Lazarus out of the grave. And then, so Lazarus is all wrapped. They used about 100 pounds of grave clothes in that day. So he's like, he's all bound up. And he can't do anything and he can't move. And, it, and it, the story goes, he kind of, he must have hopped out of the grave, I guess, like a, I don't know. And, 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 and instead, of, instead of just, you know, the, the, the grave clothes falling off of Lazarus, he has the disciples get around him and, and, and start, his, you know, unraveling Lazarus' life so that he can move again. I know we celebrate Easter once a year and we really think about the resurrection and it's on our minds a lot. But I want to ask you this question before we pray. Is there anything in your life that you've given up on ever getting better? Because I know Lazarus was a story that happened a couple thousand years ago, but I think this story of Lazarus happens today. And it doesn't just happen once when we come to God. I, I know that, you know, and, and our life has changed. It says we come to God that we are, we're dead in trespasses and sins and we're resurrected to new life. And I, I, I know it's the story of salvation and we celebrate it every year around this time. But are there some other things in your life that maybe you've, you've given up on? It could be a relationship. It could be ever it could be a marriage, it could be a dream. And what I love about this story is that Jesus shows up and he's man enough to weep with the family, but he's also God enough to resurrect Lazarus. And I want you just to do this for a moment, just bow your head and close your eyes. 'cause in this story of Lazarus when when Jesus shows up at the tomb Martha had to lead him to the entrance and so in a lot of ways it's an invitation saying, you know, God, I want, I want to invite you into these dark areas of my life, the places where I've, I've maybe given up on them ever getting better. And that could be why he was talking to the weary and the tired and the burnout. Because the weary and the tired and the burnout usually don't have any options and they feel like, well, what I've been trying is not working. so in this moment i just can you invite jesus into those places of your life maybe it's an addiction that you can't seem to kick and it just keeps coming back and it coming back and coming back maybe it's something that happened a long time ago and it just keeps it's still there it's still in your heart it's still affecting you it's still affecting your life it's still affecting how you live And I love this. Jesus shows up, not like a bull in a china shop, but gentle and humble, and he has the answers. And so Lord, that, this morning we invite you into those places of our lives that maybe we've just given up on them ever getting better. Lord, we want the resurrection power to be real inside of our hearts in inside of our lives, in every single area, in every single category, Lord, we just invite you into these places of our heart that nobody may see, that may be secret and, and, and nobody knows it's there. But God, we just thank you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen.